Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Thank you. Well, I just wonder, is, is there any value in studying the Gospels? Are you sure? I just want to be sure. So, I mean, some have, some have indicated that you know it's a waste of time. We know the stories. Why? Why bother? It doesn't affect our walk. I mean, uh, my thought is say the same thing anyway. That, that's right. You know, yeah, we got the parallel. You know, did you read this one? No, I read the parallel. You know, so um, I, I just want us to to keep picking away and, and seeing if we we find some some things that we've not seen before, or maybe a different perspective. Because I tend to overlook them, and I. I want to uh, take advantage of them and actually use my new leather-bound Delich Hebrew Gospel. Yes, indeed. I know it's too too expensive to put in a bulk order for this one, my friend. Too too expensive. All right. Uh, so two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever it was, we talked about the uh, the mikvah, the gathering, immersion. Of, uh, of the master. And then we talked about the, uh, the bat kol, the voice from heaven, right? And um, I'd like tonight to talk about the temptation of the master. So uh, we've only got one line in Mark chapter 1 and verse 13. I'll, uh, I'll read it here in mine. Mark chapter 1, verse 13. It turns out that the temptation story, or account, if you will, is discussed in great detail in two of the Gospels, slightly less in the third one, which would be John. And then uh, in Mark, one line here, we've got, uh, he was there in the wilderness 40 days, and the Satan tested him, and he was with the coyote, and the angels attended to him. There we go. That's it. We're done. But it is a bit more robust in uh, Matthew and Luke. So we'll be looking at Matthew. Uh, Luke's account is the same as Matthew's, but the second and third temptations are flipped. don't know if you noticed that before. First temptation. Take these stones, turn them to bread. Second temptation. Take the dive, drop and roll. The third temptation. Check this out. <laughs> Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, that, that just seems like the, the wimpiest temptation. Well, we're going to talk about how wimpy these temptations are, and, and really, can God be tempted? We're going to talk about that, and we're going to open with that. But I do want you to recognize that in the book of Luke, the second and third are flipped. And most commentators would agree that the third temptation in Matthew, being offered the entire world, is slightly more than the drop and roll. So everyone kind of agrees that Matthew's probably got it uh, in the correct order, but it doesn't really matter. So uh, the first thing I want to uh, get down here, um, and we will be in the book of Hebrews for Uh, A couple of verses shortly, so if you want to flip there, as we discuss, we can. Um, How do you reckon that God was tempted? So before we get into that, tell me, what is a temptation? Sir? It's an influence where incentives are presented to the mind, and man has to choose whether to obey God. Okay, so I would say, based on the fact that we're presented with these options, that there is an opportunity to choose. Would you agree? Yes. If there's no opportunity to choose, would you say it's a temptation? No. no. Ah. <laughs> well. Could Yeshua choose the wrong? He couldn't choose the wrong. I like that. If he couldn't choose the wrong, then there's no temptation. 
So perhaps he could choose the wrong. But if he did choose the wrong, well, then he couldn't be Messiah. So, but he didn't choose the wrong. So he is. So Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. What does that say? Anybody got that? I'd like to hear that in two different versions. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Read that again now slowly. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Ah, and another version. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now, it appears that the writer of Hebrews is clearly saying that the master was tempted. This implies then that he could have made a poor choice because he had a choice. Let's look again at the uh, right of Hebrews two chapters later in chapter 4 and verse 15. Chapter 4. So far, I don't, I don't feel that that's, that's an incorrect way to put it, because he was fully man and fully God. Yes. So being fully man, he would be subject to hunger of, of any sort. Tiredness, weariness. Right? Exactly, fatigue, uh, every single thing that... Brokenheartedness. To which we are subjected as well. Agreed. That's part of the Jewish terms, Mashiach ben Yosef, kills the Yitzhakar. Yeah. So he has it, but it's not until he dies when... when First person overcoming, really. Right. So, Good. But but it is there. Exactly. Hebrews four fifteen. Anybody? Yes. Gregory. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hmm. Yet. 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 Without sin. Praise be to his glorious name. Do you have another version on this side? Maybe some King James-ish? You get the same thing? Uh, for we do not have a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tried in all respects as we are apart from sin. I like that. It seems very similar. We have the uh, complete Jewish uh, Bible. Mr. Stern. For we do not have a Cohen Gadol unable to empathize with our weaknesses, um, since in every respect he was tempted just as we are. The only difference being that he did not sin. That kind of fleshes it out, doesn't it? No, we're good. Hey, let's read again. I, I th- I'm concerned because there are people that will tell you that he couldn't have been tempted. It can't be a temptation because he was God. And when he wasn't God, and, in, and, and, and what, what do we need to remember? That yes, he was and is God, but he was also man. Completely. Just like us. That's important. And the great kenosis passage, I'm speaking in uh, Colossians, right? Yes. So as the second Adam, he did that also to show what, you know, um, as, as the second Adam, that we're being conformed to his likeness. Yes. What we would do when we would be his disciples. Or as Moody would say, a man wholly given to the Spirit of God in every respect. The world has not seen what can be done in that case. Well, actually, that's not true, is it? We, we do know what will happen if a man is totally given to the Holy Spirit and is obedient in every respect. Our master. He did that. Yes. Um, I think there's... I had an interesting conversation almost about this point with someone this week on... So we're a week late on the class? I'm sorry. Oh, will you come as an expert then? There we go. Um, on whether or not Yeshua was married. Because there's a lot of commandments in the Torah about that are for a married man. Yes. He was tempted in every aspect, just as we are, to find who the we is. Yes. But is, is that really true? He was never wed, and there was a lot of commandments that he you know, wasn't, you know, that, that he never had the opportunity to break, because he, he was never in that uh, position. Okay. So is it true that he was tempted in yeah. every aspect of yeah. the we are? That's, that's interesting, but I think it's a foolish 
uh, way to look at it. And, and let me give you a couple of examples. Um, there's no way I can ever be a Cohen. It'll never happen. It doesn't mean I'm not tempted. Now, whether I'm married or single, the, the temptation from women, at, at least in my experience, maybe somebody else can help, but in my experience, the temptation is the same. Whether you've got the ring on or you don't have the ring on, the temptation is the same. We call it a different sin, but the temptation is the same. And it doesn't necessarily need to be sexual. It can also be, who comes first? The wife or you? Right? So, I question... It's almost like the churchgoer who says, well, you can't keep all of the commandments because you're not going to do the sacrifice after your menstrual cycle's over, are you? Well, no, I'm not. But actually, actually, by not doing that, I can, yeah, okay. Well, Ritz Burlock said something one time that kind of jumped out at me, how someone was trying to accuse Yeshua of like, well, he, there's no way he could keep the ones that the women kept. And, well, Rick had some insights on that that I think that you guys should listen to sometime. It's, he, he says he did in every way. Well, by not doing... Oh, of course. I'm, I you're agree with him. I mean, it's like the sacrifices in the backyard, right? Yeah. Are we, are we going to start slaughtering cows in the backyard? Not. Why not? It's against the Torah. I keep the Torah by not doing that. Hello? Right? Just for the record, Yeshua has the greatest bride of all. Who? Very good, very good. But the wedding supper has not occurred yet, right? Just want to make sure our timing is correct for, for he who is outside of time. But, but he is betrothed. He is betrothed. And, of course, he accuses his beloved of being unfaithful on a regular basis and yet still loving her, which demonstrates... His again obedience to the Torah. So I just want to make sure. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I read James. I've been looking for this for a while. Chapter one, verse thirteen. Did oh. you start tonight, or did you? you know. Just the beginning of the hour. <laughs> uh, no one undergoing a trial should say, "I am being tempted by God," for God is not tempted by evil, and He Himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. That's true. Temptation verse. Absolutely. So does he, did he have evil desires within him? But I think the context is different. I, 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 I'd have to go back and read that chapter of James. But is that the opening the, of the, the book? The, the Satan is the context of the Gospels. Not, not, not his... The Yetzirah. Right, not his Yetzirah. So, in, in other words, the Satan plays a role... Um, being the accuser of the brethren, right? And, and, see, and a deceiver. And a deceiver. And we see how he played that role, particularly in the book of Job. Uh, and God allowed it. Absolutely, to absolutely. To, uh, to, you know, to uh, prove and to test and all of that. Yeah, well, I, I, would, I would argue then that also he allowed it in the garden. Sure. Right? And, you know, here we have another aspect of the adversary. Rather than accusing and saying, well, he won't if, he just comes in and deceives. So, yeah, outstanding. So, yes, sir? Well, that, that actually brings another important question. Um, if we're going to hit the... Take your time. Well, eventually we will return to the state. I mean, so it's... so. Is the tradition that to the state of um, creation before the fall? Back to the garden. Yes. Then will there be temptation? And I, I, I mean, obviously, temptation gives choice. So. Yeah, I, I think I think the answer to that would it would be off topic, but the answer I think would would be no, because at that point, the the three things that pull at us now. The flesh, we're glorified. Okay? So this body which is susceptible to sin would no longer be susceptible to sin. Second, the Satan, 
right? Hasatan will be tossed in, asbestos skis, he's got a ticket for a long time, right? And then third, the world. But this world is passing away and will be in that Edenic state then where we're communing with him, right? So I would say, when we go back there, you can relax, it'll be all right. Um, I don't know that the culture pulled very much the world, but certainly we had the adversary in the flesh because the adversary doesn't make us sin, right? He just makes us think about sinning, and then, we, then we're stupid and we make the wrong choice. Right? So I want to make sure we're clear. If, if someone says, well, Yeshua was not tempted, I think you should argue that because you have a high priest who did withstand the very same temptations that we withstand most of the time and hopefully more and more each day. But that's what makes him such a great Kohen Gadol. He was tempted. And if you deny that he was tempted, then you deny his humanity. And that's almost as bad as denying his divinity. Okay? You first, then you. Well, I was just going to say, why would, you, why would the writers of the scriptures even draw attention to it if it wasn't if it wasn't an actual temptation. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, uh, the scripture becomes moot if, you know, it really wasn't a temptation. And now you have to question the veracity of all four gospel writers, even, even Mark, right? It's, it's the Hebrews, uh, yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to slide. I think it's such a blessing that we can relate to uh, Mashiach like that. Uh, I, and I would say the opposite. That he can relate to us. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and that's a concept that's, <coughs> that's lacking in a lot of different facets of even Judaism or Christianity where you have a clergy or you have you know, old guys that are bookwormish and kind of stay in a library reading dusty books and that's it. Yeah. They don't have the, the actual you know, daily life responsibilities. They're celibate or they, you know, they're not involved because they're you know, all, all they do is read the Torah. But there's the aspect of you have to, you, that's good, but you have to put it to practice. Absolutely. The growth with, via concrete temptation comes in. Well, I I agree with you uh, uh, completely, but I would also say that that's where the glorification of our master comes in, right? We're to glorify his name throughout all the earth. And if all you're doing is sitting there studying the Torah in a, in a vacuum, it's when you walk it out that he said, the people are going to see. And they go, well, what kind, of, what kind of God you got that gave you these kind of laws? This is very cool. I would like to know about this God. Well... If you want to know about this God, then you want to know about the God, because that's not a God, that's a piece of wood. That's a piece of stone. That's called a television. I don't you know, whatever. All right. An iPhone, that's right. All right. Well, you know, we look for these parallels in the scripture, right? Where we see that God seems to do things over and over and over, almost as if it's to get our attention. Did you see this happen? It's gonna happen again. You see how I redeemed them there? I'm going to redeem them again. Just like that. This kind of thing. It's interesting that the uh, Abraham Avinu, Abraham our father, um, according to uh, Genesis Rabbah and Yalkut Shimoni, which we're still looking for an English copy if anyone happens to stumble across it. Yeah. Um, according to them, Hasatan attempted to stop Avraham Avinu from sacrificing Isaac. Three times. Isn't that interesting? Three temptations. In the first one, he disguised himself as an old man. And he comes up to Abraham and says, Surely, surely you, you misunderstood what Hashem said. You, you, you must have misinterpreted what about your reputation? You're going to kill your own son? What are you, nuts? Come on. What about God's reputation? This is how it goes. Um, then starts to question, how do you know you heard from God? How do you know? Remember, this is Satan dressed up like this old man. right? How do you know you didn't hear it from Satan? Oh, that's very cool. He's a clever guy. The second time, he disguises himself as a young man. Different tact this time. This time, he approaches Isaac. Do you know what your, your nutso father is about to do? 
Do you realize that you're going to be the sacrifice? Are you out of your mind? And of course, the, the Midrash goes on to, to say that Isaac uh, says to his father, fulfill your creator's will through me. Get this. May my blood be an atonement for the future people of God. Whoa. Oh! Ah! First, though, Isaac asked, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? That's right. That's right. There it is. But I think the parallel here and the response is extraordinary. And then uh, uh, you get a lot of uh, different comments on the, on the third temptation, but uh, uh, one of them says that uh, Satan disguised himself as a wide river to try and drown the patriarch on his way there. And you actually get a hint about that in the tests that Abraham, the ten tests that Abraham went through uh, when you're reading these other guys. So, anyway. I hope you'll agree that our master was tempted because he is fully human. Secondly, I hope you understand that for your average concert B-flat Jew to be reading or understanding or hearing that this one who's known as the Mashiach of Israel was tempted three times in three different ways is going to resonate with him as he recognizes the parallel with Avraham Avinu. Okay? You with me? All right. So, first test. Let's, uh, let's go to the scripture and uh, find out what we got. Who can find that in Luke or Matthew? Let's go to Matthew. I think that's a, a better one. I don't think I wrote down my reference is it 4 3 I know it's in Luke 4 the trier ah. yes question the wording in this version is, is interesting because it says that Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and that we, what we just read in James, what Mr. Rose just read, is that God, obviously, he doesn't tempt anyone himself. Each one is tempted and drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So, yeah, but, but we know that this was not the case because he was drawn away by the Satan. He was impelled by the Spirit and, and tested by the Satan. By the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. We're just not going to do the whole council all night. Just rip the Yeah, no, no question. It's it's clear uh, in all in all the gospels that the Spirit impelled or almost tossed him into the wilderness in order to undergo this test. First? Well, to me, it, it parallels right, right there with Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay. Then the tester approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, there's the question, speak to these stones and they shall become bread. He answered and said, See, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on everything that comes out of the mouth of Hashem. So, as you know from last week's class, I think that the voice, the bot Kol, when he came up out of the water and the Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon him, I think that the voice was for him. I think it was addressed to him. I don't think it was addressed to John or it was for John. I think it was for him. And I think that we're seeing a consistency now as he now gets tested according to what he just heard. 
Because if we want to throw some divinity magic in there, that he's really God and he's just kind of faking being being a guy, then you've got a you've got a weird kind of Messiah. But if you've got a holy man and he's just like you and you and you, he needs to understand who he is and his calling, as we all do, and what purpose God would have for us. The voice tells him, you are my son. And as I said, we see thereafter, he calls himself the son of God. He refers to himself as the son and refers to God and Hashem as his father. So we've got that. So now we've got this questioning. If you're really, if you're really the son of God, prove it. He does. He does. By the word. And we're going to see that. And we're going to look at his response to temptation. Uh, you know, we've, we've heard some pithy and short sermons about, you know, maybe, maybe you should memorize the book of Deuteronomy. Good. Yeah. And, and he becomes a perfect example for us. There's no um, weirdness there about, well, he, I mean, he can't really pray because he's God. You know, he can't really be tempted because he's God. You know, the whole God card is just stuffed behind as God has reduced himself in order to provide the ultimate and perfect sacrifice in his son, Yeshua. Right near the end, you bet. It's like, come on, if we can, if we can do this another way, I'm I'm all for it. But if you can't, I'm all for that too. That's exactly right. So the test is basically, if you're son of, if you're the son of God, prove it. Make these stones into bread. What's the strategy? What's Satan's strategy? Okay. What's the strategy? What's he trying to get him to do? I'm sorry? Now, Alex, I couldn't say it any better, and I think that's exactly what the strategy is, but that just points back to what I was saying, that the bot coal was for him. Did God really say you're the son of God? Well, if you're the son of God, come on, turn these stones into bread, because I know the word of God, and it says you can do that. So do that. So ultimately, his strategy is to question the Word of God, which is his strategy all the time. Did God really say he cares about what you eat? Well, yeah. (laughs) That was the first thing. Don't eat that. And secondly, he wants him to take the shortcut. If you fall into a coma in the next six seconds... When you leave out of here, at least remember this one thing. Guys, in this walk of faith, there is no shortcut. You can't fake Bible study. You can't fake prayer. You can't become a more holy man. You can't walk a more righteous life. You can't minister to more people by faking it. It shows. It won't work. If you truly want to be a tzaddik, which is what this class is all about, you've got to put in a time. You have to. Why are we so just like blown away when he teaches? Because you haven't seen him for two weeks prior to that because he's, he's got his nose in the books. He's studying his heart out. He's putting in the time. There's no shortcut, and you can tell. When Spurlock gets up, what's up? No social life. The guy lives in the books. He's studying to show himself approved. The strategy here is not just to question the Word of God. It's to take the shortcut. If you're the the Son of God, 
Just turn these stones into bread. I know you're hungry. Good. Just, just do it. That'll prove it. What was going to prove that he was the Son of God? No. Close. Obedience to the point of what proved he was the Son of God? The resurrection proved it. Come on, guys. 1 Corinthians 15, right? Without the resurrection, we, we are without, without hope. There's no faith. Eat, drink, and be merry because we're done. Well, in his case, it did, because he lived a righteous life, and the scripture says that he was raised by the power of God because of his righteousness. Right. It's a small point. Other people were not raised because of their righteousness; right. they were raised because of his righteousness. Or right. of his righteousness. Which or was his life. Uh, I'm with you. I won't argue it. You're right. Okay. Other comments? Well, yeah. It's also important to remember just what you said in the example of that, the faith being personal, not vicarious. There's no vicarious faith. So Lot's wife is the perfect example. Yeah. Okay? Grows up in a godly family, looks back and perishes. Has a godly husband. Exactly. Right. I mean, so, and Paul even says in Galatians, me, died for me. It's very personal. Absolutely. And then the expression of that individual redemption is collective. Is within the collective. collective. never replaces the personal. So that's, your, that's really the larger point you're making. Exactly right. You can't live off of someone else's faith. <laughs> that's right. You know? That's right. We all, walk that, we all walk the same path of faith. You can't for, for, for long. Yes. It'll work for a little bit. It's all flesh. Right. Exactly. Parable of the ten virgins with oil. Give us some of your oil. Give us some of your good deeds. Yeah. Your righteousness. Sorry. Can't we, we can't do that. Yeah. Okay, so his response, let's look at it in the scriptures. This is so cool. Devarim 8.3. That's Deuteronomy for you guys. Deuteronomy 8.3. He afflicted you and let you hunger. Then he fed you the manna that you did not know, nor did your forefathers know, in order to make you know that not by bread alone does man live. Rather, by everything that emanates from the mouth of God does man live. Now, back to my point that the voice was for him. If you have your Hebrew scriptures... I'm sorry? No. Take a look at man in 8.3. It's there twice, and it's not man. It's ha-adam. The man does not live by bread alone, but the man lives by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He is, I think, taking Deuteronomy 8.3 literally as a statement about Mashiach. The man. Or as many of you have said, a second man. Yeah, it's really the in the Hebrew. I think that's cool. Yeah. So what's interesting? What's interesting? Well, I got to wait for the Hebrew guys to actually read it and make sure I'm right. That's Bere- that's Berean Bereanaic, and that's okay. Take your time. Take your time. It's there, isn't it? Yeah. Ha Adam. Twice, actually. Took me a little time. And uh, Hashem appears before uh, each one, I think. So it's very cool. It's kind of cool because we're talking about bread in this passage, and then what's coming forth is from the Hebrew word motze. Yes. To yes. Like just what in the humble Yes, Br- brings, forth brings forth bread from the earth. Yes. Uh, it's just, what a cool connection. Yeah, it's, it's, a, great, uh, it's a great deal. I, I just, again, I'm just, maybe I'm making a lot out of it, but I'm just. I'm hearing God himself say, you are my son. Make no mistake about it. And I'm, I'm pretty pleased. And now he goes in the desert. and said, well, if, if you are the son of God, 
Well, why do you, why do you call him that? Yeah. Well, Yeshua himself was as referred to as the bread of life, right? Absolutely. So, and the only way that he would be able to live up to that title is if he um, continued his journey to the cross and his resurrection. So, Amen. Yeah. No shortcut. Right, exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's go into uh, Messiah 101 here. You've got Messiah figures in the scriptures, and the sages are constantly comparing these Messiah figures to the ultimate Mashiach, the Mashiach. And it, it's clear that the, the Messianic job description demands that you bring bread to the people. Joseph. He fed the world. He gave the world bread. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses, our teacher. What did he do? He gave them bread from heaven. And you know what? Yeshua fed thousands by doing a miracle with bread. But the timing wasn't right. That would have been a shortcut. He did a bread miracle. Several. But not then. I find that... Yeah. It was for others. But I find that fascinating. Not that he, he didn't... That he passed the temptation. But that it was something he was going to do later. And I think we might see that in some others. Let's look at that. Ecclesiastes Rabbah. He was tempted to do good. He was to do good in the wrong time. <laughs> That's right. Ecclesiastes Rabbah. I don't think it's 128. I think it's actually 19, but what do I know? Rav Barakiah said in the name of Rav Isaac, as the first redeemer was, so shall the latter redeemer be, as the former redeemer caused manna to descend. Moshe Rabbeinu so will the latter Redeemer. So the sages have seen these parallels. Well, wait a minute, no. we got Messiah ben Yosef. He's got to feed the plant. He's got to bring forth bread. Moshe Rabbeinu, he's got to bring forth bread. Well, that means Messiah ben David has to do that as well. Salvation via bread. Okay, second test. Are you ready for the second test? Yes, he was born in Bethlehem. That's great, too. That house of bread. Oh, okay. I'm in uh, Matthew 4, verse 5. Then Hasatan carried him to the holy city and stood him on the corner of the roof of the holy temple. He said to him, if, if you're the Son of God, here we go again, fall down. For it is written, He will command His angels regarding you. Upon their palms they will bear you, so that your foot will not strike a stone. Tehillim 91. So what's the deal with this temptation? Well, the first thing that is, that Satan quotes Scripture. Yeah. And evidently knows it pretty well, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So take the, uh, take the leap. Drop and roll and demonstrate that you're the Son of God. What is, what's the test? I actually it, think this would be the most tempting one. Uh, because, uh, if, I mean, if he's in, on the top of the temple, the wonder of the world at that time, there's hundreds of people down there. Or thousands. Thousands of people down there. Religious Jews who are hoping for Messiah, some of them are scenes who know the Shias right around the corner. No question. In the eyes of and and what would we call that? A shortcut. Exactly. No suffering, no death. Instant Zip, temptation. jump right to the glory. Right. And I think that's also going back to the garden. Uh, you saw it was good for food, and then it was pleasing to the eye. This yeah. is where this is pleasing. pleasing Absolutely, uh, immediate fame. Yeah. Boom, yeah. boom, the boom. Desire of the Essenes, you mentioned, he calls later a wicked and perverse generation. But the only sign he gives is the one of Jonah. 
So for them to actually do anything but the sign of Jonah would be to satisfy their wicked desire. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yes. You know, it almost seems that there, that Hasatan is stating that scripture in a different way, that he's kind of twisting it. Because <clears throat> I was looking on the bottom, and the reference for that was Psalm 91, 11 and 12. It's, I don't think it's 91. Yeah, oh yeah, 91, 11 and 12, yeah. And uh, I'd like to read that. Please. Um, it says, For he will order his angels to care for you and guard you wherever you go. They will carry you in their hands so that you won't trip on a stone. So when Yeshua responded and said, it also says, do not put Adonai, your God, to the test, Yeshua is showing that he understands the scripture within context. Good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. A thought just occurred to me, and, and now I've got to go, I've got to go see if I can find this, but as we were reading through that passage again about him being taken to the, to, to the pinnacle of the temple, I believe there is a Midrash that actually talks about the Messiah coming and standing on top of the temple. Here in my formerly nicotine-stained hands, Basikta Rabadi 36162a describes the Messiah at the time of the final redemption, standing on the roof of the temple and declaring Israel's salvation. Now, that's cool. So, what do we have again? A shortcut. Because he's going to do that. Just like the first one. He was going to do that very thing. But not then. Now, he's going to do this. The Savior say he's going to declare salvation to all of Israel. He's going to do it from the top of the temple. What would anybody be doing on the top of the temple? I mean, do people go up there? Actually, yeah. They went up there to watch the sun rise and know when the sun hit that mountain over there to know that it was getting ready to be the time for prayer. And you had another guy that went up there and declared salvation in Mashiach Yeshua. Who was that? James. Yeah, half-brother of the Master. He went up there. This is James the Tzadik. He went up there and declared, Yeshua is the Mashiach, and you all need to understand that and listen. What happened? The religious leaders pushed him off. Which means they were up there. They pushed him off. And miraculously, according to the story, he didn't die. He got on his knees and prayed for them. Wow. Another guy, drop and roll. Wasn't time. That's cool. That is very cool. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that you remembered that. That's very good. That was uh, Pasikta Rabati, which is like the really great um, midrash, and it's about eight nine hundred is when that was written. So, same test, if you're the Son of God, prove it, jump and land. Same strategy, take the shortcut, as Chris said, to fame and reign. It's like Jonathan said. You do the swan dive, drop and roll, and stand up and go, da-da. What are they going to do? Unbelievable, right? I mean, you got the fame, you'll start to reign. But again, it, it avoids that whole suffering and death that Mashiach... Ben Yosef had to go through. Um, his response, Devarim, again, 616, 616. Oh, I don't You shall not test Adonai your God as you tested him at Masa. In verse 15, if you back up, it talks about him being a jealous God is Adonai your God among you. Hmm. Very cool. Among you. There's no way 
he could quote anything to folks in that day, and they wouldn't put it in the greater context of what he was saying. So the timing and the motive are wrong. And just like with the first temptation, he would actually perform that same thing later. Here, he did rise from the dead with the very same result. With the very same result. He did do something miraculous, having to do with a death-defying move, if you will. And he did reign. No death, no problem. Um, The Talmud in uh, Bavli Shabbat 32a says, a person should never intentionally put himself in a place of danger, assuming that God will perform a miracle for him, for perhaps no miracle will be performed for him. So the sages saw it as being a big mistake. If you have this understanding that you can you know, do whatever you want because God's going to protect you. I think God's going to stand up there and go, idiot. <clears throat> so we've got, uh, by the way, Hegesippus uh, quoting Eusebius in uh, ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical history is where we read about uh, James being tossed off the uh, temple. And by the way, he uses exactly the same Greek that Matthew used to describe that pinnacle of the temple, that spot at the top of the temple. All right, third test, and we're done. This time, we don't have a, we don't have a challenge to the identity. This is the first one. Did you notice? In the first one, if you're the Son of God, do this. If you're the Son of God, do that. Well, here, there is no questioning of who He is. It's almost like He's demonstrated it. So we pick up in verse 7 of chapter 4 in Matai, but Yeshua answered, it is written, you shall not test Adonai your God once more. Hasatan carried him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of this I will give you if you bend and bow to me. But Yeshua said to him, depart from me, Satan, for it is written, you shall bow down to Adonai your God and you shall serve him only. Then the Satan left him alone, and angels came to him and attended to him. So, no questioning of the identity. But now, we studied Psalm 2, and that's what he's quoting. What's Psalm 2, verse 8 say? Psalm 2 and verse 8. Remember we had that when we were uh, studying the whole end times and sequencing, and we saw that the beginning of Psalm 2 talked about uh, preparation for that, and then the middle is that angst that the rulers of the world are going to have, and then the back end. Structure. Exactly right, exactly right. Psalm 2 8, anybody got it? What do you got? Anybody? Ask me, and I will show you the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possessions. And we studied this. Who is speaking? Hashem. Who is he speaking to? Mashiach. Yes. What gets me about this passage is it's like, how is it Satan's to give to him in the first place? That's exactly where we're going to go. <laughs> so first I would remind you, we have seen something like this before. Now remember, we always want to look and see the parallels when we see this before. Can you recall when, I mean, he is the second Redeemer, did this happen in the life of the first Redeemer? Yeah. I mean, doesn't Hebrews chapter 11 refer to him, Moses, as in Egypt? And instead of those passing pleasures, he suffered for the sake of the Okay, shock. good. Yes, that's good. But I was thinking about physically, Mount Nebo? Go up onto the mountain. And look as far as your eyes can see, because that's as close as you're getting. But he could see, quote, all the nations of the world up on the mountain. As the first Redeemer, so was the second. That's cool. That was cool. All right, so so I want you to, uh, before we get into what, what you just brought up, I love Psalm 2. Uh, Midrash Rabbah, Bereshit, uh, on 
on actually last week's parsha, mm -hmm. where um, there's a, a, a midrash talking about only the three different places in the Tanakh uh, God asks uh, if someone wants God to do something for him. Essentially, the first one uh, was Avraham. Mm -hmm. um, then it was uh, uh, King Asaya. Shlomo. Um, sorry, the oh, that's right. Shlomo. The Shlomo okay, so, sorry. There's there's five. Shlomo uh, and Isaiah chapter uh, nine, where he gives the sign, uh, but he, he actually got to Asa. Ask a sign of me. He, he, said, he won't do it. Yeah. And then here they say is referring to Melech Hamashiach, uh, and in verse eight, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. Yes, that's cool. Is this the third person? There's, there's two different, there's either three or five, depending on what you're at like. And the third was... was Mashiach. That's cool. The significance of that is, because a lot of modern Judaism today does not recognize the son in verse 7 uh, as referring to the Messiah. Right. But they explain it as Israel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. But, the, but the earlier the, sages... Rush, yeah. Chazal in the Midrashim said, oh, yeah. He, he's telling, he's telling Melech HaMashiach to ask him him. That's right. Yeah, there's no Which question. means that the son, verse right before it, is also Yeah, yeah, there's no question. And the sages were clear about that. Right. Absolutely. Uh, messianic. So, so my question is, when have you seen this before? Satan did this before. Before you read this, Satan did this before. Now, we're reaching into some serious remez here, guys. But you know what? I know somebody's going to think of it. What's he asking him to do? Does he want to worship him? Does he want him to worship him as God? Is he asking the Mashiach to worship him as God? Is this a divinity issue? No. This is not the word for worship. This is the word for prostrate, to bow down. Where have you seen this before? Mordecai! Haman! Boo! He's all upset. Why? Mordecai won't bow down. Same deal. All I want you to do is recognize... I'm a somebody. Just bow down to me. That's all Haman wanted Mordecai to do. Mordecai would not bow down. Same deal. Yes. Right? When you hear the sound, you bow down. Trumpets play. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry, boys. Maybe you didn't hear the music. Maybe you didn't understand the command. Oh, no, no, no. We understood it. We're not going to bow. They wouldn't bend. They wouldn't bow. They wouldn't bend. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So Mordecai, I think, I mean, it's perfect. You know, you've got the Satan figure in Haman, and you've got Mordecai, the Mashiach figure in the whole story, right? Same deal. It's not worship me as being divine. It's just bow down and recognize that I'm a somebody. <coughs> All right. It, it, the word worship doesn't mean bow. Lord. The word worship, avodah, yeah. to serve, yeah. is different than this word, which is to prostrate or to bow down. Oh, okay, okay. That's what I was trying to understand. But they normally go together. Does it, doesn't it not, does it not use both here? Fall down and worship? I don't think the word for worship here is in... Fall down and prostrate. Well, I mean, it, it's implied to worship, but I don't think we've got the worship there. If you check the, if you check the Greek. The point I wanted to make is that, um, which I think is consistent with what you were saying, is there is a bowing aspect in the notion of worshiping. So whenever you hear other religions talk about, well, we don't we don't worship this object, we, we venerate it, but we don't worship it. Well, my mind can't make that difference. Are you bowing to this? Because that's the definition that says worship. Well, you know, it's interesting. In the... Um, in the uh, in, in Jerusalem, the, the, 
they've got the, the two different sects have a place where you can see um, the the tomb or the uh, the place where he was buried, uh, right? Yeah. So you go you go on you go on the one side and you literally have to bow down on a piece of stone in order to get your head in here and look at and what have you done? You know, they've got an idol there. You know, you've just bowed down on a piece of stone. You know, it's like, gotcha! Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's there. Uh, the actual word in the Greek is proskuneo, and it means homage shown to men and beings of superior rank. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and, and prostrate is, is the word that we get in English. There's Esau as well. All of Jacob's children. Passed by and bowed, except Benjamin. Good. Same deal, right? It's like, come on, recognize me. Hmm? Just bow down. And play, some, play some music. When you hear the music, you bow. I'm feeling good about this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are those three guys in the back? Yeah, come up. Yeah. Not they the, wouldn't bend. The, the, uh, the discrimination of sorts that the sages, well, not even the sages, but the Jews in the Master's Day have made from not eating with Gentiles. But it's understandable because in... in a lot of research shows that, yeah, they had short doorposts, and if you know a Gentile had an idol, you know, opposite the door, as soon as you walked in, you had literally bowed Bow down. To walk yeah. in. It doesn't matter what you're about to eat. It's right. it was that action right there. I mean, that's you literally won't go into the house of a Gentile. Yeah. That's, why, that's, why why don't you eat? Why set yourself up. Yeah. For why it? don't you eat lunch <laughs> in a quiet little bistro with a woman who's not your wife? Somebody may have a camera. I just don't want to be seen like that. Same deal. Why, why, why won't you go through the door? Well, um, <laughs> um, I love this here. Just realizing, James, the friendship with the world is enmity with God. The last temptation is the world in its splendor. And, and down later, Yeshua says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come. So you see the two different kingdoms. So you can't fit into the world and into the kingdom at the same time. Yeah. It's obviously an important lesson for all of us um, as we walk the narrow path as peculiar people. And it's poignant that this last temptation goes with this first proclamation of the kingdom. So you have the world juxtaposing as the kingdom. Amen. There it is. All right, so um, to, to close out there, um, pseudo-Yonatan, uh, Targum pseudo-Yonatan, uh, talks about 70 angel princes presiding over the nations of the world. Seventy. Seventy. And they're presiding against Israel. That's uh, Targum Pseudo-Yonatan on Deuteronomy 32.8. So the idea being that there are these princes, and we read about this in Daniel, don't we? Daniel begins to pray. The angel shows up. Oh, Dan, man, sorry it took so long. Traffic was a bummer. It turns out that the prince of something or other was in the way, and you know, he had a flat, you know, the whole deal. Well, he's talking about these princes... And he's already now made a... Pro- Who's in charge? Persia. And he makes this prophetic thing that... And the prince of Greece is on his way. He's coming. Yeah. Whoa, that's exactly what happened. We had Alexander the Greece guy show up. But the, but the question I think that Johnny brought up is, is good. If each nation has a prince, as we see in Daniel and Jonathan, uh, Jonathan pseudo-Jonathan, and Hasatan at that time was believed to be the prince of Rome. You know, and Rome ruled the world at that time, so one could say that Hasatan, being that prince, ruled the world and therefore could, in fact give it, as it were, to Yeshua. But I think theologically, we have to question. Who's the prince of the power of the air? The apostolic scriptures are very clear. Who's who's in charge? Right? Satan's got it. Now, who gave it to him? Who gave it to him? You can answer that question. Did he steal it? I think he was given it. Was he given it by Hashem? Okay. I could, I could work that. I could work that. Adam, Adam forfeited that to 
I don't know if he forfeited it to Hasatan. I definitely think it was cursed because of Adam. I could play that, though. I could work that angle. I like that. I could work that. I think, I think there's another, though. I think that what are nations but people? It's just individuals. And it's each individual chooses to serve someone, something, other than Hashem. They've given it right to Him. What happened to Germany in the 1940s? What happened? You think Satan just took over the planet? He just took over that country? No. The people gave it to him. I think he has what he has only because men have turned their hearts towards him and have given it to him. He hasn't taken it. But that also means he can't really give it. It's not his to give. It's been given to him, but he has no authority to give it away because it's only been given to him because it wasn't given to God. I think there's an aspect, too, where he's a master deceiver. No question. I think, I think there's, there's yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we talked about that. So I can, I, you know, I, got, I mean, he's definitely got some uh, uh, squatter's rights here. And we've got the hearts of men, wicked, desperately, deceitful, and yielded towards Hasatan. So I think, I think every way you look at it, he's got some stuff there, but I don't think he can actually give it. Adonai needs to give it. And he will. To whom will he give it? Well, we just read it in Psalm 2. We already know who he's going to give it to. Because he still owns it. I was going to say, I, I like that uh, interpretation of it because I'm thinking of uh, Scripture in Isaiah. I'm not sure off the top of my head exactly where it is, but it talks about everyone walking past Asatan uh, in an eschatological sense and narrowly considering him and thinking to themselves, is this the man that made the nations tremble? So hmm. I take that to, for me at least, is that he's not as imposing as he may seem. Yes, an angelic pipsqueak, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I hope we see him that way someday. I think there's, uh, there's another uh, future uh, uh, climactic event here too, with the sounding of the seven angels, mm-hmm. the seventh mm-hmm. angel, mm-hmm. which is kind of mysterious. Where it seems that's the D, so to speak, of the earth. Yeah. So, yeah. The uh, the sages would say that men have given the world in its part and parcels to Hasatan, and inasmuch as they have done so, he controls the affairs of this world. And that's how they would kind of read Daniel and understand it, and we should then take it um, further there. The sages see Hasatan as the angel of death. And just as death rules all men, so does Satan rule all men. Same kind of deal. There was another parallel here. I mean, Ephesians 6, John 16, 1 John 5 are all talking about these angelic princes and so forth. And, and so we know it's there. But if you, if you bring it down to a physical level and more brass tacks, doesn't it remind you of the portion we just had? You got the battle. Abraham comes back. He's got all the spoils. He's got Lot and the family. What's the king of Sodom say? King of Sodom, give the people to me and you take the goods for yourself. Now wait, wait. Isn't that almost exactly what Satan is saying to the master? I get the people. You get the whole place. Look at all the real estate. Isn't that great? Abraham refused the riches. Abraham refused the riches, and the master refused everything that Satan was offering. That's exactly right. So you've got another redeemer, former, latter one, and these parallels. I mean, it's it's just extraordinary. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, because the idea throughout the whole thing is 
I got the shortcut. So um, I, I enjoyed that. We'll take a break now, but I, I do want to encourage you. Um, if, if your walk seems stale from time to time, get your butt in the, in the scriptures. Because, you know, the bottom line is, if you hide his word in your heart, it's a good thing. You can't put the Tanakh under the pillow and get it through osmosis, which, by the way, is only water. Diffusion might be a better term, but that's right. You can't get it that way. You can't get it by only studying the scriptures on Shabbat. If you hide it in your heart, it's coming out of your mouth. Out of the the abundance of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So there it is. All right? Profitable time? I, I do think there's value in reviewing these stories we're so familiar with and seeing, can we see the parallels and some of the repeats so that when we speak to people who maybe are now looking at a Hebrew copy of the Gospels for the very first time, we can perhaps bring some pointers back to what what we would hope they are very familiar. Yes, sir. Well, just to echo that thought, the thing I would like to love about this conversation is we're looking at the apostolic writings through yeah. the lens of the Tanakh and and the other uh, uh, writings of the sages, yes. Of what they understood, right? Exactly. And in all, it fits like a glove. And, and it may, for me, it helps me recognize that my faith's been going on for a long time. And our master, Yeshua, is but a fulfillment of a whole lot of parallels and firsts and repeats and re- re- repeats over and over again. Yes, sir? I was just going to say, when you were talking about if your walk is getting stale, it's probably because you just, oh yeah, I read this, the whole temptation We read, thing. We read this every year. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, it's like you go through it and just kind of glaze it over. And we don't stop and look at the details in, yeah. in, a, in this kind of fashion, the way we do with Torah portion reading. Amen. So we become desensitized, as it were, to the details. Yeah. And so we just kind of dismiss it. That's right. And we don't see a lot of the beauty. That the yeah, it's good to dig. I never knew that that bowed down and worshipped me. I always thought that the, that the focus was on the worship. And now I look and I see, in the Greek, it's on the bowing. And, you know, now, I can't wait for Purim. And the whole Mordecai thing, man, I'm just, I'm going to say, see this? You know? Satan wanted my master to do this. He wouldn't do it either. You know, that now, since we were making comments about just studying everything, I think it's, it's so cool also how we all study in order to do something with it. Amen. To act out something. It's not just we all leave and go, wow, that was really neat. Yeah, you know, I got some more book knowledge. Right. It always leads to something. Yeah. Which is Amen. So I I would hope after this class we would have a more fluid discussion about the temptation, beginning with, oh yeah, he was tempted. Oh yeah. And his temptations were just like his father Abraham's, and so are mine. And some of those temptations were just shortcuts to what he was going to do eventually, and anyway, that kind of thing. All right, let's take a break.